The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 431. Going to continue on our off-season prep for the 2022 fantasy baseball season. In order to do so, I have a special guest, first-time guest to Bench with Bubba. You can find his work over at armchairroto.com on Twitter at armchairroto. Russell, how we doing, man? Doing pretty well. Thanks, Bubba. Yeah, thanks for joining me. It's uh, it's fun to have a new uh, a new face, a new voice to join the show as um it's just it's amazing how many people are, are out there doing stuff and you've been doing it for a while so i feel kind of bad i, I haven't uh, had you on but it's been fun kind of seeing your, your website grow and your, your twitter account grow why don't you uh, kind of tell everybody about armchairroto.com and what you got going on over there 
Yeah, I guess I launched it heading into last season. I launched it in October of, I guess, 2020. So when the when the short season happened, I uh, just got real bored uh, waiting for the games to start. And so I started building all this all this stuff. I built my own projection system and I and I built this uh, this system I call the orb for for ranking players. And then I started kind of building the the framework of, of what would become a website and worked on that through the season. And uh, when 2020 ended, um, I had already written a handful of articles and I just I just launched the thing. Um, and it's nice, you know, I've I'm pretty busy with with uh, with life and work and I don't really have time for regular obligations, writing articles or anything. So I, you know, I've never really tried to, to write for a bigger site or anything. I just launched my own thing. And it's basically my fantasy baseball blog. And, uh, you know, sometimes I write articles every week. Sometimes I take a month off. It's just kind of whenever, whenever the mood strikes me, I can share things that are on my mind because uh, fantasy baseball is on my mind a lot. So uh, I have a, I have a running list of interesting things I want to write about. Every once in a while, I just sit down and pull out, pull out the vault and pick something and write about it. Or, or other times the, the mood strikes me and I just, you know, sit down and hammer something out. I love it. That's how I kind of started out doing what I do. And there's times when I feel like going back to that and just kind of doing my own thing. Cause I, just like you on my phone, on my notes app, uh, if I think of a topic I want to talk about someday, I just put it in there just like, and I'll go back and look at it once in a while because you know, you, you do write for certain sites and they have like certain things they want you to hit, like certain topics, like, you know, whatever. And they're fun and all. They're great. They're what people want. But I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you know, I kind of want to write about this. I want to go like this is on my mind thing. So let's kind of peruse it. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about your projections because it's really cool. We're seeing more people start making their own projections, but a lot of it's kind of incorporating you know, some of the long standard projections and doing different things along those lines. Or some people are just geniuses and create their own deal. So how, like, you don't have to give us all the secret sauce sure. or anything, but how do you go about creating yours? Is it just from scratch? You start going, do you use other templates? What do you got going on? Yeah. So I am a, I am not a genius and I'm, I'm not nearly as smart as the people that put together um, the more complicated systems that everybody uses. And, you know, steamer and atc and the bat you know, i look i look at all of those things um a lot of the reason that i that i made my own was just because i got tired of waiting for the systems to come out i'm a i'm a total drafting degenerate yep. and uh, you know when when the world's final pitch is thrown and, and the final out is made in the world series you know i kind of want to start drafting <laughs> and uh so there's never any projections out there so you know, a few years ago i i started kind of really wanting to, to make some. So I was looking at things like, you know, Dan Zimborski puts out Zips three-year projections. So you can start with those immediately. You can look at year two because they're only out for the for the previous year, but his the year two of his projections right after the World Series don't take the previous uh, year into account. So I would start doing things like taking his year two, three-year Zips projections and then folding them in with, with what happened in the previous year. Um, and, and that was a pretty good shorthand for a while, but really, um, my system is pretty simple. It's kind of based on Marcel, the monkey, if you're familiar with, that's a kind of a, an old model that was put together. It's three year weighted averages. 
Um, I'm only using two years. I got rid of the first year, um, a few versions in, and I add in a few X stats and things like that. But it's pretty basic. It's just something where uh, I don't have a huge spreadsheet where I hit the button and everything updates. It's like I have inputs where I copy and paste um, my selected stats from my custom fan graphs page from, you know, I'll copy and paste the sample from one year, then the sample from the next year, and then paste them in. And I have drop downs where I weight certain things. That's why I do each player individually. Okay. Uh, and then that spits out the projection. And then a lot of times I'll look at the Savant page, I'll look at other things, and I adjust things manually myself. Um, the biggest thing that I do is, is adjust playing time. Um, so at bats, innings pitched, uh, I think there's a big edge to be gained from, from doing that yourself. 100% agree. That's one of the topics of like conversation between many people, especially you draft champions folks, is uh, playing time is king uh, to, to make things work. And, you know, these projection sites like Steamer and everything are great. But the, the example I give that the listeners are probably annoyed about by now, but like you go and look at Dalton Varsho, they have him for like 93 games. Let's be realistic. If he plays the outfield, he's probably playing more like 130 to 140 games, maybe totally. even more, maybe even more. Like he could play. So like for him, almost steamer 600 is a much more realistic look than the regular steamer. But that's the kind of edges you like you're saying, if you can kind of tweak that to a more realistic number, take the percentages and, and make it work. You do have that upper hand on the rest of the field. And it's a gift like Phil so showed how much of a gift it was this last year amongst other things. But um, it's a, it's a cool thing you're doing, and it's one thing I, I tell myself all the time. But I am, I tell people it's amazing I can put a podcast out because electronically I'm not the smartest human being in the world. So like I just want to learn how to use Excel better so I can kind of you know start putting things together and, and make it work because I like using the projection systems like you said they're they're great they're smart people they're they're awesome, but every projection system or at least if you're going to call it your projection system should have kind of your flair to it I guess your touch mm -hmm. to it because your head's the one picking the picks, so you want it to kind of fit what you're looking for. So that's what I like what you're saying. You take, instead of three years from ourselves, you do the, the two-year, then you start adding some X stats, this, that, and the other. You're getting what you want to see to what you think makes the, the quality of player to make the projection work. Totally makes sense. So that, that's, that's really awesome. You've been doing that for two years now, you said, or just one? Yeah, about two years. Two I've years. put them out publicly for two years. Awesome, and, awesome. and I would add, um, if you're talking about putting your own flavor on things, uh, my projections have a big element of uh, what am I willing to pay for mm. built in them. So, you know, the what you really what the larger projection uh, systems are trying to do is project uh, the actual outcomes, and and I am doing that. But uh, when you're looking at playing time, you're looking at innings pitched. There's a big element of well, this player gets hurt a lot. Um, I think I'm only willing to pay for. 400 plate appearances from this guy. Uh, even if he gets 600, he's worth a whole lot more. So for a lot of players, I'm kind of baking some of my biases in. Mm -hmm. So that can be a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, you know, it's how I use it. No, and it's, you got to have that kind of <clears throat> bias involved. I know they say that there's a good bias, there's bad bias, but if you have no bias at all, you're just like a, a robot, and then what are we really doing here? So you got to have some kind of fun with it to make your choices, to make it work. Because like you said, you're you're a fantasy draft degenerate. That's what we do. This is why we're doing this on January 20th in the middle of the day. Like we love this kind of stuff. So 
it's just the way it works. But um, so you mentioned your projections and I want to ask you about orbs also. It's like more of a ranking sure. system. <laughs> I guess they kind of go hand in hand. I'd imagine like you use your projections, obviously like just makes sense to do that. Um, how much do you change your rankings per se, based on what your projection spits out? Just out of curiosity. Uh, well, I don't change them at all. So I don't, okay. I don't use, I don't use rankings. I just let the system rank the players for gotcha. me. Um, so it's a lot like people that use SGP. So I hear, okay. I hear Toby talk about his SGP a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really need to, to pull Tanner Bell's uh, spreadsheet and see how his works because uh, let me, let me come back to that. Uh, so when I, when I built the, the orb, uh, I had never heard of SGP. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started building it about three years ago and I, I, I put the first version of it together and I thought I had really come up with something really special, um, really special and unique. And so I kind of shared it quietly with a few people in the industry that, that, uh, that know what they're looking at. Um, so, uh, I shared it with uh, with Alex Chase, a really really smart guy from Pitcherless. He's one of the one of the smartest guys around. Uh, he had posted something that that that, that sort of made me think you know, he 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 would know what he's looking at. So let me send it to him. And so he looked at it, and he kind of went on this this uh, I won't call it a rant, but but he has very strong feelings against uh, against SGP and and major flaws in SGP. So he started talking about that. And I thought, well, I've never heard of this before. So I start Googling around and, you know, I'm like the last person to the party. A lot of other people are doing this already. I'm with Um, you. I've never, I've never heard his rant about it. So I'm I'm curious to see where this is going. This is good. Well, (laughs) well, I think, I think his big thing is when you're, when you're ranking players with SGP, um, you're leaving out the replacement value. So if you've got a player, that's fair. That's so fair. If you've got a player who yeah. has, you're projecting 400 plate appearances, you're ranking them based on that. It's going to leave out the 250 plate appearances you're getting from the replacement, which that's fair. Which I think is a really valid criticism in a mm-hmm. fab league. Yes, um, but in a draft champions, you know, you're locked in with those with those players. So I True. think it's it's much fairer to rank them that way. So. Um, so I've made a lot of upgrades to to my system over the years. Um, so I'd like to take a look at Tanner Bell's and Reverse Engineer and see if he's if he's doing his the same way. Um, but the way that I have mine set up, um, it's league specific. So I have I've got a page where I drop in all my projections, and then I have multiple tabs where I input my targets and floors for all of my different leagues. Okay. So I've got my auto new leagues. Uh, where the plate appearances and innings that you expect to total at the end of the year are totally different than what you would expect in a draft champions or a fab league or a 12 team league or a 15 team league or a weekly league or a daily league. So all these leagues have different targets. And so I have all these different tabs where I input my targets and my floors for each different league. And then on the main page next to my projection, I can sort what is kind of my SGP for each league. So I'm looking at my auto new, I'll hit the sort button and it ranks the players totally differently with the same projections for those leagues. Okay. I like that because uh, it's kind of like um, Derek Rhodes. He was doing best ball, a lot more best ball content last year before he went to baseball prospectus. And he had a mm-hmm. best ball spreadsheet that uh, he could purchase for a couple bucks. So I grabbed it off of him and you could put any projection system in there you wanted, but it was very telling because, you know, like fan best ball is a point system where, you know, it's not so it's definitely different than Roto. 
So it helped me out a lot to do well over there because I, I got my brain's more rotocentric where I'm focused on categories where I put it in this system. So it's kind of like you're talking about different league formats and it spit guys out. I'm like, how the heck does that rank? Like you just it shows you things like you're saying with your different formats. So that's pretty cool. You do that because most most things you find these days, um, unless, again, there's probably tabs I didn't click on to do it. You can probably um, it's more like, hey, this is the you know 12 team or 15 team roto. This is what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool. You have that that aspect as well. I love it because that's that's one reason why I love having new guests on and stuff is it's very interesting to me. There's so many really smart people out there and it's fun seeing how you guys all attack things differently. So it might seem like I have the same show a lot during this time of year. Cause like, it's like draft strategy and stuff, but everyone's so different and it's, it's fun to kind of like piece things together because we can all learn from each other. So how you're kind of, you know, building your projections and your rankings is a totally different format than some of the other ones I've heard. I think it's really cool to have this different uh, way to build things. And it's kind of one thing I, I preach to my listeners is if I can, if you do anything before draft season is, you know, listen to what you want, read what you want, do all that stuff, but make your own rankings, go into a draft with your own rankings. Cause that means you at least did the research to do it. Even if it's just on a piece of paper, I don't care, but make your own rankings. So that's cool that you, um, you have your system like that. Um, how is that working out so far? Cause you are, you can say to generate, you start like right after world series, um we'll we'll get into your 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 awesome article on um the draft champions of the past eight years but just for now where where we're at how many uh drafts have you 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 jumped into so far uh i have completed 11 i think 11 what's what's the uh, what's the end goal how many Uh, 15 15, for for draft draft champions i'll do 15 i did 15 last year uh and that was pretty manageable um and I started out doing the draft champions a long time ago just because I, I played in a lot of daily leagues, uh, a lot of waiver wire leagues, and I just wanted to play in more. And somehow I tricked myself into thinking that draft champions were not uh, all that involved because there's no <laughs> waiver pickups, there's no trading. Um, and that's true. Uh, but it does take a pretty good chunk of your time twice a week to, to set the lineups. But uh 15 last year was pretty good. I, I spent probably an hour every Monday morning and an hour every uh, uh, Friday morning just setting the lineups for the week and the weekend. And, you know, it's it's nice to not sit there for 20 minutes combing, combing free agents, trying to decide what you're going to do. You just you kind of get to a point about a month into the season where you go in and, you know, I've got these four catchers. Who am I doing? Boom, boom. And then you move on. That, that's how I felt about him is – I know some people spend way more time than I do on these things, but I'm kind of like you. It's I, I log in Monday morning, I log in Friday morning, maybe Thursday night. We'll see, but usually Friday morning, and it's like okay, um, you know, because you know, there's a good chunk of your roster, and your article talks about it. They're pretty much hopefully set it and forget it, guys. Like you're just gonna have these guys in your lineup. You're not mm-hmm. worried about it, so you can kind of almost skip over most of that. Like that's a good yeah. thing, barring a weird scheduling situation. You're, you're gonna just pretty much leave them in. So a lot of the times, pretty much with that random hitter and mainly your pitching on a Monday. That's what most of it is. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And before I keep kind of saying everything without talking about it, let's talk about your article and we'll come back to your draft champions. But I thought it was a great article, kind of like it's a postmortem, kind of a reflection um, of your eight years now doing DCs. And um, I think it's always great to go back and look at what went wrong and right type situation. And you kind of put it out there for everybody. 
So I think it's really cool if you want to just kind of give everybody a kind of a brief synopsis on what you have learned over your eight years, because it's it's a great takeaway. And again, I'll, I'll preface it for everybody. Draft champions are much different than fab leagues. So remember oh, yeah. that when we talk about this, it's a totally different animal than fab leagues. Yeah, I would say um, the biggest lesson is, uh, and, and this is for draft champions more than any other league, is that roster construction matters far more than player analysis. I mean, you want to know the players, you want to know their tendencies, you want to know who has the potential to, to break out, who can make a small adjustment and do things a little bit differently. But really, if, if you're going to win draft champions leagues, you have to, to work on your roster construction far more than anything. Um, you got to have those plate appearances. You got to have those innings. Um, so, you know, when I started out, I, the article kind of talks about the first the first few years when I was just sort of casually playing you know, one or two each season. I was just kind of winging it. Um, and back in 2014, you know, everyone talks about draft champions now, yeah. um, but back in 2014, nobody was really talking about them. Um, and so I, I entered a couple. And I just thought, well, I'm good at fantasy baseball and I know what I'm doing. And, I'm, and so I, I did really dumb things like, uh, you know, you, you draft a player and then you think, well, if this player gets hurt, I'll, I'll, I'll handcuff him with the backup, you know, like in fantasy football. Um, but baseball doesn't even work like that. So that was a really, you know, that's a really dumb thing oh, to yeah. do. So We've all been there, though. Like when I read that, like I'm reading your article going, this is so like relatable for like, if you can't relate to like 90% of that article, then you're just one of the special people. Cause like yes. we've all been there before. Like, it's just, it was so funny. You, you said it that way and it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. So, so that first year I got last place in both of the leagues I played in. It was just a total loss season. And then I came back uh, the next year I did one league. I got second place, um, but I was still just kind of winging it. And uh, it, I didn't really start, um, doing really well until last season. Um, I, I won one league in uh, one of my four leagues in 2020. And then last year I implemented all of these roster construction rules and followed them really closely and uh, did pretty well. In, in 15 leagues, I won three. I got second place in another, uh, which was good enough to double my money. And then I got fourth place in another four leagues uh, and fifth place in one. So I was top five in over half of the leagues, draft champions leagues that I played in. And uh, there are some further corrections I'm making heading into this season that I think are going to going to fix a lot of those things. I, I you know, I'm no Steve Weimer, but uh, I think I'm going to do a lot better heading into this season. Yeah, but just like <laughs> Steve Weimer, um, he's learned through the process as well. Like I guarantee you, when he walked in the first few years, it was a lot of similar thoughts you're having, like. Oh wow! Okay, I need to like you. You mentioned it in, in the article. Your construction. I want X amount of catchers. I want X amount of this. I remember the first year or two I did NFPC fifties or DCs, whatever you want. Any any draft and hold format. Same way as you. I'm like I, I I'm gonna get you know these players. I'm gonna get these players. There was really no organization, no method of the madness per se. And you start to learn these things. Playing time is key. Um, you know, pitchers. Like I told the story last year in an NFPC fifty, or I still finished. I think third second or third i finished well i had no first base in the last three weeks because all three of them were gone for the season three of them and there's nothing you can do about that like you in reality three should still set you up pretty good but that's just how brutal these leagues can be at times and yeah. so if you if you don't at least set yourself up construction wise that three weeks could have turned into three months for some positions and yeah. and then yeah. and then you're done then you're done so um 
it's a learning curve for sure. And you talk about people even in the main event, like Rob DiPietro and guys have talked about it, that that first year you step into the big ring, you thought you knew fantasy baseball, but you didn't. So no matter what type of league, whatever, there's a lot of learning curves involved. So that's why I liked your article a lot, because you kind of talk about what you did wrong, what you've learned, how you're adjusting things. And then the roster construction, like you said, is huge. And you broke it down in a way that, you know, like you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, you can go 27, 23, 20, like something in the ballpark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you you made good reasons. Like, I want these catchers and then this this type of catcher for three or whatever. So it doesn't have to be great, but you need these types of things. And it makes a ton of sense. Um, how do you how, – how's that playing out for you so far in the 11 you've done? Um, I'm following it to a T. Um, I think it's playing out pretty well. Um, does your spreadsheet you're using, does it have like special things to keep you reminded like, hey, um, do this, do that, and does it like highlight does, – is it, is it go as deep as highlighting, hey, these players are available, you should take this for this position type thing? No, it, it doesn't do that. Um, but I just have a pretty good sense of the player pool. Um, so the way I the way I do it is I so I'll I'll rank my players in, in my spreadsheet and then I'll upload that to the NFBC and as the draft is going I will compare that to the ADP and um, once you really get going once you're a hundred picks in you have this this situation where you've got you've got a pool of players that um, as far as my rankings are concerned are really great value. And they're nowhere near their ADP yet. And that pool gets bigger and bigger as the draft goes on. You know, by the time you get to picks 500, 600, you know, that pool is is huge. And yeah. so I just keep an eye on which players are left, um, which positions I still need to fill, which players I still need a, 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 you know, which infielders I still, which infield positions I still need a third player at. Um, and just sort of keep an eye on things as they go. I know that if I have uh, eight outfielders, mm-hmm. that um, you know Jackie Bradley Jr. is still there in the six hundreds, yeah. um, and I'm going to snag him up if his. I don't recall what his exact ADP is, but say it's six fifty. You know, I have no problem taking him with pick six hundred. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty rare that I take a pick uh, after a player's ADP. I'd say ninety. Without actually looking at it, I'd say ninety percent of the players I take, I take before their ADP. That's that's great to hear, actually, because uh, there's the whole get your guy theory, but there's also just the, hey, I know where player X is going. I don't have to go crazy to get him, but I know if I'm willing to reach like a round or two, then my my structure that you're looking for is going to stay intact. And the other thing you mentioned, which I was like, gosh, you gave away a secret, which obviously isn't a secret in how it is because everybody has great content, but. You mentioned that you learned and something I do all the time that why waste picks in, you know, picks 40 through 50 on, you know, player X or Y when there's all these relief pitchers out there, all of them. And I, yeah. I, I load up on some of the goofiest, goofiest uh, relief pitchers out there. <laughs> so I think that's a strategy I've employed, especially this year. Like I, if you look at my, my pitchers, you can tell my last seven to ten pitchers are just like either long shot starters that might be a fifth starter or so many relievers so many mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there there are so many quality relievers that are still around with your final picks mm-hmm. uh, i did a draft i finished just the other day you know i took uh alex vesia yep with he's probably like the, like the 47th pick or mm-hmm. something you know he's gonna have solid ratios he strikes out more than 
uh, K per nine, uh, nine Ks per nine. Um, and, you know, he's a guy you can just plug in. If you don't have, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, Bruce Zimmerman, you know, instead of starting Bruce Zimmerman for a, for a start, you plug in a solid middle reliever and protect your ratios. And he's probably more likely to get a win than Zimmerman is. 100%. And you look at some of those teams that, you know, like the Rays, the Giants are starting to do it. There's a handful of teams that don't let their pitchers go deep. So you're, you got vultured wins everywhere. Like, I'm not saying go draft DeLeon from the Giants, but watching him religiously like I did, he got a couple saves last year, got a bunch of wins. A couple Like, he wouldn't have killed your team at all. Like, he would have helped no. you at times, and you get him yeah. super late. So it's, it's examples like that totally. that you, you can do. Uh, before we go on, we've got a couple – we have a listener in the chat that has a question. First off, he's asking – William asks, how much are the entry fees? Uh, DC start at 150 We've seen $400, thousands. That's 15-team league formats. If you want to play 12 teams, though, there's $50. So you got that going for you. And that's on NFBC. Fantrax has a bunch too. So you can go cheaper formats there if you'd like. Then he also asks, do you pick accepted call-ups? I think that's a great question because you uh, mentioned prospects in your article. And kind of if you want to elaborate on what you've kind of learned through that process. Yeah, so uh, very rarely now do I take prospects I expect to be called up. Um, you know, with the caveat that we'll see what happens with the new collective bargaining agreement, um, the rule that I'm sticking with this year is I'm, I'm trying not to take prospects unless they've already debuted. So uh, when I looked at all at, at, at my successful prospects that were drafted last season, they were guys who had debuted in 2020. So Louis, I had Luis Garcia from the Astros on a whole bunch of teams that I took in the 40s rounds. Um, James Caprillion, same thing. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, same thing. These were, you know, uh, decent prospects who had already appeared, who I had reason to believe would would play because they had already played and you weren't going to mess with, you know, when are they going to get the call? When are they not? They're just more likely to log those innings and those plate appearances. Um, so those players did a lot better for me than the Wander Franco's, uh, frankly, and I had, I had Wander Franco on one team last season. I probably took him in the three hundreds and he came up mid season and he was good. Um, you know, he, he got rolling there towards the end, had a really nice batting average. Um, but the team that I had him on, I finished fourth place. And if I had taken a solid regular everyday player instead of Wander Franco, I probably would have cashed in that league. Mm -hmm. So, that's the kind of thing I'm I'm thinking about um, heading into this season. It's a great point with with Wander Franco. It's it's nothing against the guy's talent, but at pick 300, you can get an everyday outfielder. You can get another starting pitcher. Like there's so many things you could have done, like you said, that would have got you at, at bats from April 1st on. That would have been tremendous for your counting stats. Where um, these other guys, you know, the Hasty Sanchez's, Caprillions, maybe post 500, 600 in drafts. So it's like, and you, you mentioned it. Most of these guys you pick late, you don't even matter on your roster. Like in, in a vacuum, you hope you never even use them. That's what I tell people when they ask, like, hey, what's your long shot? Well, if, if everything's perfect and no one gets hurt, you don't even use these guys ever, like hopefully. So it makes a lot more sense uh, in, in that scenario. Um, Star Platinum has a question. Kim from St. Louis will vulture wins this year. More of a statement, I guess. The only thing I have with this is, A, it's a good call because he's basically free in drafts right now. No one's picking him. But it's because he doesn't have a home right now. 
And yeah, he's a free agent. He's a free agent. So that's the hard part because I was really close in my last draft to taking him because I, I, I was looking at him like, man, I know he's not a big strikeout guy. Ratios are decent, though, whatever. But, yeah, he's a free agent right now. So that's the hard part with Kim. So I'm with you. Yeah, there. let me see if I have taken – I don't even have any of my stuff pulled up here. Player shares page is one of the best things ever <laughs> to yeah. see. And you, well, while you're looking at that, since you're looking at player page, you mentioned uh, diversification. Can you yeah. elaborate on that as well? Because that's a, a big thing is we all kind of have our guys, but there's a time and a place where you probably should diversify. Yeah. So last year I did a really good job of diversifying the front end of the draft. Um, you know, you don't want to take a player on, 80% of your teams, and then they go down with an injury, it sinks your whole season. Uh, so I did a really good job with that. But the problem was uh, I was taking a lot of the same players in the back ends of the draft. Um, I had a real thing about uh, Kai Tom last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the A's took him in the Rule 5. I mean, I'd liked him uh, a few years ago when he was with Cleveland. And I think heading into 2019, maybe it was 20, uh, I had actually requested that NFBC put him in the player pool because he wasn't there. So that was me. Um, so I had already liked him a lot. And so when the A's took him in the rule five, I thought, this is, this is it. This is the season. Yeah. So I was taking Kai Tom with the 48th, 49th pick across every team. I think I had him on 90% of my teams. And you know what? He was just straight garbage all season. Yeah. And that was basically like having a 49 man roster instead of a 50 man roster. So, even with the back end of the draft, you can't fall in love with players. So I'm, I am trying to implement a rule of, of not having any player on more than 50% of my rosters front end or back end. That's smart. That's smart. It's something I should probably do because through eight drafts, I think I have six shares of jazz Chisholm and stuff like that. So I might want to start moving things around just in case that goes kaboom. Cause that's going to sting quite a bit. Um, let's, there was a listener question relating to DCs. Would you rather take Gene Segura or, uh, um, O'Neill Cruz. So what's your, what's your thoughts on this one? Cause O'Neill Cruz is quite the topic of conversation these days. Uh, this is what I uh, mentioned when we were, when we were talking earlier, somebody tweeted this question out. Uh, they said, I need a middle infielder. I'm looking at O'Neill Cruz and Gene Segura and uh, Kevin Hastings replied and said, if it's a DC, you take Gene Segura. If it's a fab league, you take O'Neill Cruz. And that is the perfect answer. Um, you know, if, if, if it's a DC, you want those at bats. Gene Segura is a really good everyday player. You can just plug him in and forget about it. You know, those 16 to 18 home runs and, you know, 8 to 12 steals and a decent batting average, um, that's really, really valuable. And with O'Neill Cruz, um, you know, he fits my rule. He came up last year. Um, but at that point in the draft, you really want somebody who's going to get you those everyday at bats. You don't you don't want to wait. Um, that's how I feel about it. Anyway, I know there's a lot of people that disagree with that. Um, so even though uh, he fits my rule, I haven't taken him yet. And I would take in a Gene Segura in a DC uh, ten times out of ten with that question. Because it's fun with the the O'Neill Cruz argument, and it's I could see both sides of the, of the spectrum. I'm with you on the fact that you know you take the consistency in the draft champions. The people, at least like Justin Mason, the smart people that are touting O'Neill Cruz, is they believe he starts the season with the Pirates. Yeah. And if he starts the season with the Pirates, that changes the conversation. 
Now, if he starts the season like Wander Franco did last year, now we're talking back to your pick 300-ish pick, and now you have to sit and wait, and that whole thing plays out again. So that's where it's a tough one. And at this point, obviously, we don't know because of what's going on. Now, if, say, February, you know, pitchers and catchers report and everything's back to normal and we see O'Neill Cruz taking BP and reports come out by March 1st that, hey, he's locked in at shortstop, well, his ADP is going to rise also, for one. And um, it's going to change things quite a bit. So it's kind of – it's part of these early drafts. Like, are you – I know you, you said you like to draft right out the gate because that's what we do. But are you also a fan of these early drafts because we don't know a lot of things? So you can kind of take a, advantage of potential market inefficiencies at times? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, I've been taking Kevin Newman uh, at, at the very back end of, of a handful of drafts. I, I seem to have a, a thing about Pirates players. I, I, I wrote an article about Adil Cruz, and I wrote an article about Kevin Newman, which is by far the least read article that I've put up on my website. <laughs> Nobody cares to read about Kevin Newman, and I made this really great graphic for it, too. But uh, uh I think Kevin Newman's a really interesting player. I mean, he was by far the best defensive shortstop last season. Um, the Pirates aren't really doing anything. Um, so if I had to guess, I would say in the CBA, they fixed this playing time manipulation issue. Um, but maybe they don't. And I think the Pirates are perfectly comfortable leaving him plugged in, playing shortstop, helping, helping scoop up ground balls for all of their, uh, you know, growing pitchers, uh, developing pitchers they've got that they're trotting out there every fifth day. Um, uh, yeah, it's tricky. But uh, I get the Newman love. We all have those guys that are kind of like, uh, I get it. You know, they're not like always the term that people might cringe at. They're not sexy picks at all. They're boring. They're very boring. But yeah. um they're necessary. Like you said, if for some reason Newman stays a shortstop, uh, or even if he's just the starter for the first couple months, even that gives you something that you don't get. And then what they either trade him or he's still going to play somewhere because He'll probably slide over to the second. I mean, exactly. Cause they're going to make more trades. Coming, but yeah, 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 totally. There's going to be spots open up. And it's one thing that I love. Cause I've always like the tigers and the Orioles, bad teams still have good fantasy players. That's just the way it works. So that, that's kind of the beauty behind it all. Uh, before we get into uh, uh, the player debates, Star Platinum has another question. Is Brandon Nimmo a better baseball player or a fantasy player? He's one guy that confuses me. What's your thoughts on Nimmo? Because obviously the easy answer is OBP is great, but yeah. um, uh, playing time could be an issue this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's what I was going to say. Um, in an OBP, he's great. Um Things in New York are just so complicated right now um, with the playing time that I'm kind of staying away from him. Um, let me see what I've got. I mean, I've 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 got 425 play appearances uh, predicted for him, so I don't even have him as a as a full time player. He's kind of had some injury issues too, um, so I would say better real life player. He's not really someone I'm relying on in fantasy. Like I don't really have any players that I cross off my list. I just have them projected in such a way that, that I just never take them. Yeah. That's, that's why I try to tell people like when they look at my rankings, they're like, why do you have this guy so low? That's just wrong. It's like I rank him because if I didn't rank him at all, you'd really cry, but it's because I'm probably not touching him in a draft. So I'm putting them down here to respect the fact that he needs to be ranked, but 
it's not happening type thing. So this is how I feel about someone. And um, not everybody gets it. But yeah, Nemo, the, the Mets have so many moving pieces with the acquisitions, you know, Marcana and other things. So it'll be interesting to see how that one uh, plays out. Last question I have before player debates. I wanted to at least get your quick thoughts on this. With the ever-evolving world of wins going on in baseball because of the pitching situation, uh, quality starts is a topic of conversation. And quality starts is a murky water because six innings and three earned runs is still a four or five ERA. So is that really a quality start? Um, I've seen some very smart people like Johnny L, MLB moving averages, create these different kind of barriers for quality starts that are very like seven innings and three runs, six innings yeah. and two runs, stuff like that. Really cool stuff. Hard to put into a fantasy system to like make it grade it for you. Yeah. But what's your thoughts on this? I know you wrote an article on quality starts as well. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Um, you know, the quality starts, uh, I don't want to call it a craze or a, or a fad. I mean, a lot of people were really into quality starts about 10 years ago. There was a lot of talk about it. And and uh, my home dynasty league uses quality starts. We we started it up and, and we thought, you know, wins are so stupid. Uh, you know, a player can pitch a great game and not get a win. That's so ridiculous. Uh, so we totally bought in and, and, and went with quality starts. And, and I'm in a handful of leagues that use them. But the way that pitchers are, are being used has changed so much. And, it's, and it's, it's moving in one direction. And it's rapidly continuing to move in the same direction. The starters are just not going deep into games anymore. Um, and the, the article on my website, I went in and I mapped out quality starts year over year and it is declining precipitously. And so there are fewer quality starts to go around, but when you add in, uh, the way that relievers are being used now, you've got all these bullpen games, like almost every team is doing bullpen games, either regularly or semi-regularly. You got more junk wins going to relievers that it makes a lot more sense now to abandon quality starts and go back to wins because you've got these relief pitchers who are getting fewer saves, but if they're getting more wins, it kind of, it's kind of the game uh, evening itself out. It's kind of reaching a sort of adjusting on its own to, to go back to an equilibrium. Um, so, so, you know, you don't have so many closers closing 30 games, but you have relievers across the board pitching more innings they're gobbling up more of those wins because there's still a win every game, uh, even though quality starts are declining. So I just feel like uh, the time for quality starts has passed and it's time for everyone to to uh, go back to wins. And it, it's funny because I was in a couple of leagues just like you. It's like, oh, quality starts make sense and this and that. But as you look at it, most pitchers go five innings, so thus they don't even qualify for a quality start. Yeah. And the, the relief pitcher situation, everything you mm-hmm. mentioned. So one thing that's fun is this last year was my first year in Tout Wars, and it was a new league that was formed um, to try out a couple of new stats. And one of the new stats was instead of wins, instead of quality starts, we used innings pitched. So it re, it rewarded quality pitching, per se. So like your really good aces that are innings eaters, yeah, you get rewarded and the ratios and everything, but go get a quality reliever that goes out in a couple of three inning outings throughout the week or something like there's, there's different way to build throughout it. So it, sure. um, it made it, it, it was kind of an eye opening look by the end of the season of uh, rewarding those like, and, and for instance, like Lucas Giulio, he wasn't great last year, but he also had so many six or seven inning starts. He never got the win for never. Yeah. And it's like, I still get rewarded for him throwing a great game now instead of just yeah. being, Oh, well I got six strikeouts or whatever. And cool. Now at least I got something out of it to kind of keep the fancy thing going. So it's, it's a, it might be a way to kind of tweak things. I don't know, but 
that I think that one's going to take a while for people to, to grasp and catch on to that one. I think wins, quality starts are kind of feasible numbers you can see or the innings pitch is a we have enough tr- trouble trouble trying to uh, get playing time figured out. Let's uh, yeah. <laughs> let's stick with that. On that note, let's do a couple of ADP debates. We're going to use some draft champions ADP over the last 30 days. Just uh, you can go as deep as you want, as quick as you want. If we cover them all, we do. If we don't, we don't. No biggie. But uh, just some fun kind of guys going around each other at similar positions um, throughout the draft. So we'll kick it off at first base. And the one reason uh, we didn't talk a lot about it, but I want to talk about Ryan Mountcastle because of the fence changing and everyone you know, saying this or that for, for power in Baltimore. But Mountcastle is going around pick 110, give or take. Yeah. And Jared Walsh is going around pick 122 right now. Mm-hmm. So you got you got Mountcastle. We know the power situation. Walsh might have a better average, but still, um, you know, it is Anaheim. You never know where they're going to hit him or what's going on there at times. So who would you have between Mountcastle and uh, Walsh? Yeah, I actually like both, um, but I'm taking Walsh. Um, I actually have Walsh uh, ranked a little bit higher in my sheet. So the fact that he's going, what, 10, 20 spots later, um, I just pass over Mount Castle and, and take Walsh if I'm taking a first baseman there. Um, I don't dislike Mount Castle at all. I think I think he's I think he's good, and I think coming back from um, you know, he's got a full year after coming back from the cancer. Um, I think he's got some further growth that he can catch back up on. Um, so I think I think his power could increase a little bit more than than people think. Um, but at this point in the draft, I'm I'm uh, I'm taking Walsh. Yeah, no, I like Walsh a lot. His, his overall metrics are great. No problem, Mountcastle. I like how he's first base outfield also, which uh, yeah. always a nice little perk to have with with your picks there. But I don't think you can go wrong with either one of them per se. But yeah, yeah. Um, to save the twelve picks, I, I think it's pretty nice with Walsh. Especially, I just wanted I want them to come out and say he's going to be like our fifth hitter every day. Like, don't don't yeah. move around, just play him. That'd make me feel so much more comfortable drafting Walsh. Um, Another first baseman, I want to bring this up just to get your thoughts because I tweeted it out on uh, Wednesday as a poll. A lot of uh, mixed reactions to Nate Lowe, Frank Schwindel, Bobby Dahlback, Brandon Belt going 229, 230, 241, 243. In the end, Belt won this one. But there was a lot of interesting arguments for all four. So what say you? Um, Well, without looking at where I have them, I actually like all four, and I have shares of all four. Um, I kind of like them all for, for different reasons. Um, I think Nate Lowe's season last year was a successful season. I think, you know, I know a lot of people were disappointed by it, by it, um, but I think it was a pretty good first showing for a first full season in, in the majors. Um, I think there's more power in his bat. I, I did this article where I, I ran a bunch of filters on fan graphs and looked for, uh, I set a threshold for max exit velocity, average exit velocity, hard hit rate. And, uh, and then I took all of those players and filtered for ground ball rate with high ground ball rates. And it spit out 10 different players. And uh, you can find it on, on my side. It's called like 10 players with big power hidden by ground ball rate. And so, you know, there's some usual suspects on there, like Eric Hosmer, you know who he is. Um, but Juan Soto's on that list too, and you can see him. He's so young, you could see him uh, making an adjustment and really breaking out. But but Nate Lowe's on that list too. He hits the crap out of the ball, um, but he hits it into the ground. And he's young enough, 
uh, and inexperienced enough that that he may not have fully uh, settled into his profile. And so if he makes a makes an adjustment, starts hitting the ball into the air more, I think you can see more power out of his bat. Um, I also like that he will get you a handful of steals. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Curlin the other day was kind of hating on on uh, Nate Lowe's speed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I haven't looked at his sprint speed. I don't know how fast he actually is. But 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 uh, Mike said a lot of, of Nate Lowe's steals were really fluky um, because most of them came when there was a runner on third base, nobody on second. He just took the base. Um, but I also heard, you know, Saros make a compelling argument about that. He said that, looking at that kind of thing that Nate Lowe is a smart base runner. He kind of knows when he can take those bases and, and make the most of it. So it's, it's not like he had 15 fluky steals and you're hoping he gets back to 15. It's like he picks and chooses his spots and you're looking for him to get, you know, five to eight stolen bases. And I think that's pretty realistic. Um, if, so only like Mike Curl- if, if only Mike Curling picked and chose his spots to talk, we'd be much more ahead. And that's just a jab because I love Mike Curling. But uh, <laughs> like, sorry, continue where you were. Sure. Um, I like Bobby Dalbeck a lot, too. I like the gains he made in the second half. Um, you know, big power, big strikeout guy. Um, but in the second half, he cut that strikeout rate. Um, I think it was down around 25% um, towards the end of the season. So I wouldn't expect him to keep all of those gains, but he can give some of it back and still produce a solid run up to the season. If he can keep that strikeout rate around 30%, maybe, maybe a tick lower, um, I think I can live with that. And, you know, a guy who can who can hit 30-plus home runs, you know, the batting average isn't going to be great. But uh, I think he's a solid regular, uh, even if Tristan Casas comes up. Um, so I don't I don't think Dalbeck is, is in too much danger of losing playing time. I know some people disagree with that. But I think he's a pretty good uh, full season. Um, I love Frank Schwindel. Um Good contact, low strikeouts, um, good walk rate. He fits this uh, ground ball, fly ball mix that I really like, where his ground balls are lower than 40%, his fly balls are lower than 40%. Um, So to me, it shows that he can kind of hit the ball, elevate the ball when he wants to, and hit it on the ground when he wants to. Um, uh, He's got good max EVs, doesn't really have any splits. so, you know, there's, a, there's always a little bit of a danger with a guy like that that pops up and he's old and, and uh, you know, hasn't played a full season. But I think he's going to be a solid regular. Um, and Brandon Belt, I mean, you know, from 220 on, he, 2020 on, he finally did what, what we all thought he was, he was capable of. Um, so if he could just stay on the field, um, you know, it's game on. I, so I like all four of these guys. I'm drafting all four of these guys. Yeah, it's funny. It's and you said it kind of. You have them spread out. I think I have at least one share of each of these guys by now. Um, and I think a lot of it's the roster construction at that point in time. Like they're probably your second first baseman, maybe your third if you're really aggressive, but probably mm-hmm. your second first baseman. And like you said, with with low, decent average, got some pop, occasional steal. I think he benefits tremendously from having Seager and Simeon in front of him now. That that could be just more run production potentially mm-hmm. coming his way. So yeah, and it just it's it'll be a second full year. Of playing time, which I think is gonna be huge for that potential. Schwindel, I love him. I think he's a, like if you need like a batting average aid potentially, I think he's really good there. Should still have some pop. Always a concern that he gets traded, but I think the Cubs are like in a multi-year rebuild, so I don't think he's gone just yet type situation. Yeah. Bobby D is the fun one. He's the wild card. 
because he legit could hit 50 home runs and no one would be shocked. Like the, the hard hit skills that he puts out there, it's like, whoa. Same time, all of a sudden, that's, that strikeout rate tr- goes back to normal or what it used to be. Then he might lose playing time. There's, whole, there's a lot of area with Bobby Dahlbeck that he can cover. And then there's belt. Just stay healthy. Don't get hit by pitch, and you're probably fine. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun range. It's almost like just wait and see which one falls the farthest out of the four. But yeah. uh, I was telling someone, um, Dustin McComas, he was saying – he prefers belt a lot of times. That's fine. I said it's it's a beautiful thing because when you're drafting, you know, you're always afraid of missing out on runs. Well, when someone takes low, just get ready to take belt next because they all kind of go at that yeah. same time. So it gives you kind of like your signal. It's like, okay, it's time to pick them. You don't have to worry about it. And uh, yeah. that's kind of a nice thing. All right, let's go to the middle infield. I, I mixed these two together because they stood out quite interesting to me. But you have Jorge Polanco who is going at pick uh, – where did he go? He's going to pick 84. You got Corey Seager at pick 84, basically, and Brandon Lau at pick 82. So they're all going right next to each other. Polanco and Lau have second base eligibility. Polanco and Seager both have shortstop eligibility. Um, Quite quite an interesting little grouping there. Yeah, um, Brandon Lau might be my favorite player in fantasy. just I just locked on to something early on, and I've just been in love with the guy ever since. I wrote, I wrote an article about him after the 2020 season where I was looking at um, – he had this this wild swing in, in, in BABIP where his BABIP dropped by like 80 points, but he maintained his batting average. And he's always, you know, he's always shown the power. But when I saw that, I thought, you know, he could really be a much better batting average hitter than, than people think. Um, so I wrote that heading into this last season and he didn't disappoint at all. I mean, the season started out and, and, uh, you know, this first couple seasons were just, were just awful batting average wise. I mean, he was still hitting home runs, um, but he was hitting sub 200 and then the guy just turned it on. I mean, month after month, his batting average improved. And by the end of the season, he was hitting over 300. I mean, just tearing the cover off the ball, hit after hit, um, kind of avoiding most of the platoon issues that, that people are worried about with raised hitters. Um, you know, he, was, he, he wasn't always leading off. He was being platooned in terms of batting order, um, but he was in the lineup every day. And, you know, if you look at that first, uh, those first couple of months, if he can correct that over a full season, um, I mean, you're looking at a really big breakout. Um, even more so than last year. So, I mean, last year he was being drafted around pick 80, and he just had this incredible season, and he's almost – I think he's being taken, you know, a few picks later than that this season. It's crazy. I mean, I have him I have him ranked around player 70, uh, and he's going around pick 85. Um, so I'll jump on that every time, um, even though I've imposed these rules on myself about no players over 50% of my teams, he's, he's going to be on 50% of my teams for sure. I, I love that call with him because um, I admitted it on our second base review going back on him is in years past, I've kind of written him off because I was concerned about the bad mm-hmm. average, obviously foolishly, but more so I was concerned about regular playing time because what the Rays do. And he wasn't like an expensive pick, but still pick 80. There were guys around him. I could trust the playing time a lot more. So I was always kind of like out on Brandon Lau. Well, I've already taken him at least once this year. 
Um, and I can see myself taking him more because the more I dig into him, the more I hear people like yourself talk about him. He's very, very intriguing because that power is legit. And if he can just put the average out there like he's doing, um, it's another, it's a game changer at the position. Yeah. I so mean, I'm, I like it a lot. If, if you draft him for his floor, yeah. which I think is, you know, 33 home runs, a 230 average. And if the bottom really falls out, you know, a 220, 230 average, 32 home runs and, you know, 80 runs, 80 RBIs, that's, you know, that's still a really valuable player, but I think he's going to do much better than that. I mean, that's a worst case scenario. I don't see him being a bust. Like you could see Bobby Dalbeck, we were just talking about. Yeah. You could see him busting. Yeah. Um, I just think that there are enough plate appearances for us to see Brandon Lau um, that, you know, bust the bust potential isn't there. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's go to a, a deeper second base look here. Nick Madrigal at pick 293. <laughs> Luis Arias at pick 294. I bring these two up because, A, they're going next to each other, but, B, they're pretty much batting average assets, not mm-hmm. a ton else. But, as you know, as you get to this later part in the draft, maybe your third, second baseman or so, that batting average asset could be tremendous. Yeah. Um, I don't have any shares of either yet. Um, I had a lot of a rise last season. I like them both as a as a third uh, third infielder at a position. Um, probably someone I would draft for my bench. And when the season's rolling on and you're looking at how you're doing in certain categories, if you need some batting average juice or if you've got injuries piling up, um, those are good guys to plug in there. So I probably wouldn't draft either for my starting lineup, mm-hmm. um, but really valuable assets to, to plug in for sure. Yeah, very, very valuable. I'd probably go our eyes just because of the multi-position flexibility oh, yeah. brings brings your roster. And Madrigal, as good as he is, I'm still not sure what the Cubs are going to do with him. So they have so many, like Nico Horner and some of the other guys there. Yeah. It's kind of up in the air still. So. Yeah, that's a weird situation there. Yeah, when they made that trade, I was kind of like scratching my head, wondering what are we yeah. doing here. It was yeah. an odd one. Like I like Madrigal's pedigree, but he fits a bopping team like the White Sox more. Like get on base, let these guys all drive you in. Where the Cubs not really built for that. So I'm not, yeah, not not sure. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, going to shortstop though, we got Dansby Swanson and Willie Adamas. Thomas going off a monster year. Swanson a monster year, and it seems to not get the respect I think he deserves, but just means potential value, I guess, in drafts. He's going to pick 127, Adamus 134. I have no problem really with either one of these guys. This is kind of the end of that first tier I kind of look – or not first tier, but I want one of like these guys are above is potentially my starting shortstop most likely. But um, how do you look at Swanson and Adamus? Yeah, another situation where I like them both a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think the hate for Swanson just comes from hitting in the, the back end of the batting yeah, order. True. Um but man, the guy's super reliable. He played in 160 games last year. His power is legit. Um, he's going to get you a handful of steals, uh, which you know you, you're not going to get everywhere once you're once you're in these middle rounds of the draft. Um, and I think he's got more room for growth as well. So I like uh, between the two. I think I like Dansby more, but I like them both a lot. I have shares of both of them. Um, you know, Adamas once he left the trop and went to Milwaukee, it was like, it was like he turned into a new player. It was really an amazing thing to see. Um, so I think there's a lot more growth in him as well. I think, I think if between the two, if one of them was going to take a bigger step forward, I think it would be Adamas. 
Uh, but just in terms of raw rankings, I like Dansby a little bit more. But I've I have lots of shares of both. I pretty much agree with everything you just said there because I, I love both these guys. And the biggest thing with Swanson, yes, was most of the time he's batting seventh or eighth, but he had that run where he was at the top of the order and just crushing it. Um, it was ridiculous. And again, roster resource isn't the end all be all, but right now they got him projected to lead off. Mike Curlin's doing some early lineup looks at stuff, and he's got him as a potential leadoff guy with Ozzy Albies hitting second. This is obviously because Acuna's out. That could all change when things take place, but. If we can get Swanson uh, locked into the top of that order, like this becomes even more intriguing. But I'm with you. Like I felt guilty because, you know, I do all this stuff and doing drafts. But the beauty of these early drafts is you start finding these pockets. And I had like Swanson in my queue going, okay, I'm going to get him my next time around and we're good. Well, I got sniped, which, you know, that happens all the time. And I'm sitting there, I start to go panic mode. This is like December. So one of my first drafts, get in panic mode. Then I see Willie Adamas, like, oh, we're good. We're good. No worries. So it, it's because um, in the old days, it almost was like another hundred and so picks later. You wouldn't even have thought about it. But now you're like, yeah, OK, this is like a legit powerhouse. And uh, I, I agree with you tremendously on that. Uh, before we move on, I got to give a shout out to our buddy Carlos Marcano here. He loves Bobby Dahlbeck. And I just wanted to bring Carlos up because if you haven't checked out his work on specs, it, I recommend it. It's outstanding stuff. Another great tool for pitching. So go check out uh, him. A good friend of the show and uh, a good, good guy in general. Next up at shortstop, Glaber Torres, pick 148. Ahmed Rosario, 152. Glaber is just that guy that you want to break out, just hasn't got it going again since that one big year. Ahmed is quietly a productive asset. So who do you like? Yeah. Um, I like Rosario between these two. I am just not a Glaber guy. Uh, it's just one of those things I just I can't even really tell you why. There's so much that we want him to be. Um, I don't think he's that 2019 player, um, but I also don't know if he's the 2021 player. Is he the 10 homer, 15 steal guy? I mean, I just don't think he has settled into a profile where you can look at him and be confident in what you think he's going to do. And at this point in the draft, um, I just want to kind of, have a good expectation about what I'm drafting because I'm trying to, to build a roster. Um, and so I just, I've never been much of a Glaber uh, believer and I don't know what to believe in if I was. So I just, I don't draft him and uh, I'm not, I'm not crazy about Rosario either, but, um, but I've drafted him on a couple of leagues and I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to, you know, hit 10 or more home runs and steal me 10 to 15 bases. And that's pretty valuable. And you'll hit pretty good average. We'll be at the top of the order yeah. in front of J Ram while he's there. Yeah. Um, I like Rosario. He's like kind of the under, he's going higher than usual, kind of like Willie Adamas. So not kind of, you know, you get that bias out of your head where it kind of doesn't taste as good as it once did. But Rosario's still super young too. Super young. People I don't think realize how yeah. young he is. And I think we still might have another kind of step in what he can do. I'm not saying he's going to take the Willie Adamas jump because I've always been a fan of Willie Adamas taking the next step. He left the trop, like you said, and boom, he took off. And I'm not sure Rosario's got that kind of power in him, but like you could see 15, 20, 15, 25 if he really clicks. And yeah. that could be fun. So I'm with you on Rosario. I like him a lot, especially as like a middle infielder, second shortstop. I think you can do much, much worse. Yeah, I, th I think you might be right about the power. I'm not looking at his player page right now, but I have little 
little notes that I write to myself uh, on my spreadsheet. And I just noted here that he made a major jump in his max exit velocity. So maybe there's something more there. Yeah, he's uh, he's just getting older. He's getting bigger. I guarantee you they're tweaking things. And I, I always joke there's like things we can't find on a computer. But just like you got to imagine a young player like him hanging out with a guy like J-Ram can only help you. So uh, and Carlos Santana was there for a while, like an older guy. Like there's just little things like that that are – you know, underrated, I think, in the grand aspect of some of these guys. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, heading over to third base, Yoan Moncada, the guy we all want to eventually get it going. We thought last year, you know, to give him benefit of the doubt for COVID in 2020, really struggled kind of in 2021 again. Uh, he's going to pick 154, and they got Ryan McMahon at 167, should be the everyday third baseman for Colorado this year. How do you go between these two? You know, I sort of feel the same way about Moncada that I feel about Glaber. Um, I just don't know who he is. Um, I don't believe in the 2019 season, those 25 home runs, he hasn't done anything since then to make me think that he can, he can reproduce that. And I know, I know that's the rabbit ball season. We don't really expect anybody to reproduce 2019. Um, but, you know, I didn't have any shares of him last season uh, after he, he kind of wet the bed in 2020. Um, and I just listened to everybody all, all, all year complain about having yeah. shares of Moncada. He's not doing anything that I wanted him to do. Well, who is this guy? He's trying to make a rap album. He doesn't care about baseball. You, know, you hear all that stuff. And yeah. so I just have these ingrained biases. I just, you know, I project him to be a pretty bland player. I could be totally wrong on that. Um, but I just don't have any shares. I'm not going out of my way to get him. Um, and McMahon, you know, I just have PTSD from all these Colorado guys. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, these these guys like McMahon, I just, when I'm going through my players and I'm doing my projections, I don't really give them enough of a second look to even really uh, you know, form a great opinion on them because I just don't want to deal with it. And, you know, here, let me pull up his page real quick. I will say this here while, while you pull them up. This might be the year where playing time is finally not an issue with these young kids. Yeah. No Trevor Story and stuff. That's the one thing I'll say because I know what headache you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. He had 23 home runs, 250. His, like, his numbers were good. That, that is a huge surprise to me. He was yeah. really good. Um, so, and, and Steamer's projecting about, about that. Um, oh, ATC's up. That's nice. Yeah. That, that dropped today. ATC dropped yeah. this morning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, nothing against McMahon. Um, maybe this will be the year where I you know, face my fears and reevaluate him and, and add him back into the fold. Welcome him back into the family. There I'll take you a go. closer look after this. McMahon's a guy that I've started. Like, we talked about a list of articles. I literally have my Google Docs things, a thing about player profile, Ryan McMahon, and it's blank because I want to go back to write it eventually because <laughs> I am a fan of what I've seen from him and the fact he can play every day now most likely i think only helps him more so i'm buying on ryan mcmahon um and kata is a a, a struggle bus because i was team mankata for a few years and it's just one of those you got to take your medicine and walk away type deal um let's do a couple more of these and uh, and then head on out of here real quick sure. at the outfield position this one's really fun to me because they're going kind of neck and neck you got the veteran <laughs> starling Marte about pick 25 then you got mr 30 30 said mullins at pick 29 and it's like you're either all on the Sed Mullins train or you're not. So how do you go between the aging Marte and the youngster Mullins? 
Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, just as an aside, when you when you mentioned talking about Baltimore, I looked up Cedric Mullins to see how it would affect him, and he hit every single one of his home runs to right field. Pull hitter, baby. It's the most bizarre spray chart uh, that I've looked at in quite some time. Um, so that won't affect him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of shares of both. I don't really have a preference between the two. Um, I am openly biased towards players that have helped me in the past. Starling so has been that guy. So, <laughs> so given given a choice between the two in a, in a vacuum, I'm going with Marte. I don't think Marte is going to repeat the the steal total he had last season. I mean, he just went bonkers. But um, you know, I expect the batting average to be there. I expect double digit home runs and and uh, and uh, I expect thirty plus steals. And with Mullins, you know, I expect him to be really good. I think the changes are real. Um, but I'm going to stop short of another 30-30 season uh, or a repeat of the batting average. I think I think a lot of things – I don't think he gives everything back, but I think, I think there's a, a little bit of regression that you need to bake in there. Um, maybe he's a 20, 20 to 25, 20 to 25, and maybe a 260, 270 hitter. Uh, which is still very, very good and totally worth his current draft price. Um, I'm just going Marte. Yeah, I'm so torn on this one because it's like Marte and the new the new digs in New York. Um, if you just look at Marte's profile, it was a fun one to, to kind of dig in on because you think he's you know this amazing player, which he is, but he's maybe a 10 to 15 homer guy, not a ton of homers. So he's really never been a big homer guy, which in like – Maybe my dumb brain, I was like, I always thought he was more of a 20-homer guy. He never really was. Outside like one year. Steals a lot, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe more like 25 to 30 this next year. But you, like you said, run scored, average, you can pretty much lock those in. Said Mullen's side of things, everybody has to imagine some sort of regression. If you don't, you're just – I want I want what you're drinking. But um, like 280 is still good. I think you're more like 20 to 25 homers, 20 to 25 stolen bases, maybe more 25 to 30 steals. Steals I could see. The power, I'm kind of still skeptical on. So it's like, do you take the veteran that's done it forever, like you said, or you take this young guy that potentially has actually a better floor, but it's tough to trust, like the one-year wonder syndrome. It's a very interesting debate. And I I also like bringing this one up because uh, there was an an OC last night, an online championship, and they showed the first six rounds of picks. Mullins went uh, in the middle of round two. That's a 12-team league for those listening. And Marte went like third or fourth pick in round three. So that's the farthest I've seen them spread out. That's why I so wanted to bring the, it up. It was interesting. It's the meme of the little girl. Why not both? Exactly. It was <laughs> it was very, very interesting to uh, to see how that checked out. Before we get out of here, I do have uh, one listener question that came in a little bit before we started recording. Um, it is from do, 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 do. Marshall Witzberger asks, a lot of talk about saves, but I haven't heard much about steals. Who are some of your later round speed targets? Um, well, I know I just dumped on Colorado, but I like Rimal Tapia. Um, I think uh, his playing time is safe. Um, I think he's going to continue leading off. Um, he's got a good batting average, and I think 20-plus steals, 18 to 20-plus steals is totally uh, likely. Um, so he's a guy that I've been taking on quite a few teams as a fifth or sixth uh, outfielder especially when I need steals late. So he's, he's one of my favorite late steals guys. I like that one. 
Um, if I can add one to it, I'd say J.P. Crawford. Is, oh, yeah. Is, I don't know if he's – Tapia's later than Crawford, but he post 300, Crawford stands out, leading off, going to run Sick. for days. So I think he's quite interesting. I did, didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have any other ones you were going to mention? No, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. Yeah, that's um, what I'm doing. You know, Zimmer, Bradley Zimmer, if he – could stay healthy and, and be a full-time player. Um, if he could play full-time, you know, you're looking at 20-plus steals probably. Yeah. Um, Jorge Mateo. I was just about to mention him. He's a perfect one for this. Yeah. So yeah. those guys are out there. Mateo, um, a couple more. Tony Kemp should play a ton oh, yeah. for yeah. Oakland. Like I have Tony Kemp in a lot of leagues already. Yeah. Um, that second outfield eligibility is awesome. Awesome. Middle Plus, infield, so yes, it's huge. With, with, with Oakland about to tear everything down, you know, his – Playing time is secure. Um, I have, speaking of Oakland, I have been taking, uh, yeah, what's his name? Say it. I think I know Stephen Piscotti. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just so, drafted him. I just drafted like yeah, around 46 going, or something. He's going in the 700s. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's he was hurt last year, but they're paying him. Yep. And he's going to be an everyday outfielder as long as he can stay on the field. Yep. And in the 700s to, to take a guy who's going to get, you know, 400 plus homers possibly. Like, yeah. 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 He's, he's my 10th outfielder in maybe four leagues. It's wonderful. Oh, I, I knew exactly what you were thinking because I drafted him yesterday in like round 46 <laughs> in a draft. I, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, how's he still? And I looked at his ADP. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think doing? it's, I think that's going to change because Steamer is now projecting over 500 plate appearances for him. So everybody's sheets are going to be updated and he'll start creeping up. Yeah, he should because, you know, you get past 600, you don't have a lot of everyday starters. He should be an everyday yeah. starter. So that's interesting. Uh, one last one that was out there, Star Platinum makes a good point. Rafael Ortega is an interesting one, very yeah. interesting one for sure. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. But on that note, Russell, we will uh, we'll call it a day. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, go ahead and plug your website, your Twitter, all that stuff again before we, we log out of here. Sure. It's uh, armchairroto.com, and on Twitter it's at – armchair roto the, uh, well, I, the premier bottom tier fantasy baseball website it's great stuff man and I, I respect that you do it because you love doing it so there's no set schedule it's when you have time like i i get all of that 100 percent get it so um i think it's awesome and the tools you have there like you mentioned your projections and everything i think it's really cool for people to take a peek at and uh, i'm hoping to not face you in any uh, draft champions streets i know that much but um that's hard to avoid there's sharks everywhere um, but I had a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to, to doing it again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Everybody, make sure, again, you check them out on Twitter at Armchair Roto. But for now, this was Benched with Bubba, episode 431. Catch you guys next time.